You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Larry Lieber, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Episode 2B, covering a period of Spider-Man from 1965 to 1966. And let me see here. This is going to cover the, the last half of the Epic Collection called Great Responsibility. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your co-host, Frank Martini. And what issues are we going to be talking about today? So we'll start with Annual 2, and we will then cover Issue 29 to 38, which is the final Ditko issue, uh, So and there's so much greatness to cover today. So much greatness and also kind of a lackluster ending, I think. Um, not to spoil oh, yeah, it, sure. but there's, there yeah. is, it's, it goes from extreme highs of like the some of the best issues or arguably the best issues of Ditko to like the worst issues of Ditko. So it's <laughs> plenty to, to talk about as we go through these issues one oh, yeah. by one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But we talked in the last episode about how this is kind of Ditko's, um, this is his time to shine right here. He's been given, he's actually being credited as plotting the stories now, which means mm-hmm. that Stan is way more hands-off with what's going on. And we, you can and you could tell a noticeable difference in the issues we talked about in the last episode of how it went from much more of Stan's style over to something different, something that Ditko is trying to craft and create. So we're continuing that theme as we go through these issues here mm. uh, and we'll see where that takes us uh, i've been doing some some research as we discussed during the week about ditko taking over as a plotter and uh, and taking the reins of the of the book and from what i've read online and on some magazines i have it seems definitely that uh, issue 22 so the 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 strange tales kind of you know the the torch team up issue is really the last one that Stan worked on and uh, starting with twenty three really did go at uh, a growing importance on the on the writing on the book with full, getting full credits uh, a few issues uh, further further down the road. Yeah, that's definitely where you can see the shift start to start to happen. Yeah. Um, and then he was also drawing Doctor Strange at this time. Mm-hmm. So Doctor Strange is starting to be a more popular and more prominent character over in the pages of Strange Tales. And this first issue that we get to talk about sees the meeting of two minds. Yeah, it's the perfect Ditko crossover at the perfect time on, on top of it. Because he's at his best, I think, uh, at this moment, or close to his best. And he's teaming up his two main characters at Marvel, and I think it's a it, it was a great idea to to do something like that. I think it doesn't happen that often to have 
you know, it would have been like having a Warlock, Captain Marvel crossover uh, when Starling was working on those books or something like that. You know, this kind of great dynamic that could uh, that, that could happen. So it's great to see that in, uh, in this annual. The annual is called uh, The Wondrous World of Doctor Strange. And the, the, the credit on the on the splash page says that this could be called our Be Nice to Stevie Ditko issue. Uh, we wanted to feature a really offbeat yarn for Spidey's annual. And Severino dreamed this one up. And the fact that he also draws Doc Strange may have something to do with it. So ready or not, here we go. And I think that's exactly it. It's pure fun from cover to cover on, on this book, in my opinion. So the book begins with this strange character called Zandu that is hunting down the, the, the bad neighborhoods of the city and who gathers to to bullies and hypnotizes them so that they go to Dr. Strange's house and steal the second bit of a wand that uh, Zandu already has the, the, the first bit. So the, 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 two, the two guys succeed at stealing the, 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 the second bit and then Spidey passes by and gets in the way and the rest of the issue is really about Zandu getting this wand and using its power and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man fighting together in a strange dimension, trying to, to recover the, the wand and try to get it back, steal it from Zendu and, uh, and get rid of, uh, of the menace of the, of the wand because it appears to be a very extremely uh, powerful artifact. What I really enjoy about this story is that I think that when you take Spidey out of New York, you have to do it right uh, because it, it can't work for a very long time. You, you have to keep him in the, 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 his proper environment. And I think that as we get towards the mystical aspect and the mystical part of the issue, first of all, the art is incredible. And because we get all this weirdness that you would see in the Doctor Strange book, and also you get all the good jokes and all the, the, the fighting aspect that, uh, that Spidey can bring. So even though the, the, the plot is fairly convenient, in my opinion, I think we get a very, very good story, a very fun story, and you get the, the best of both worlds, in my opinion. I agree. This is uh, sort of like a Marvel team-up, right, where Spider-Man teamed yeah. up with somebody. And you said it right there. Uh, the, the plot is fairly shallow, just mm. enough to make these characters come together. And they focus on showing off who these characters are rather than having an intricate plot. And so, and that's kind of what Marvel Team Up is as well. These kind of low-level plots, but just they want to showcase the meeting of these characters that haven't met before. Uh, what's really interesting to me here is that, of course, when you read Spider-Man today, Spider-Man's, you know, been to other planets, other galaxies, he's been to other dimensions, but this is the first time that he's ever experienced anything like this. Mm, um, yeah, every, yeah, every issue before this is all grounded New York, you know, thugs and gangsters or whatever. So this is the first time that he's actually stepping into another dimension, that he's discovering the world of the the supernatural, the, the, um, the mystic arts and all of that. And the brilliant thing that Steve does here is that he has these two thugs accompany Spider-Man all along the way through into the other dimension and back. 
that grounds um, the world of Spider-Man that we know and makes it a yeah. little bit more easier to swallow because Spider-Man is still fighting the types of characters that he normally would fight. Because mm. he, he's nothing against uh, Zandu. There's no way that Spider-Man can go up against him. But if we want Spider-Man to look heroic, he needs to have some characters in here that he can that are more uh, up his alley and these two thugs fit the bill perfectly. It's funny because yesterday evening I was reading, you know, the you know that Peter David wrote a couple of uh, mini series about the symbiote Spider-Man. Yes, uh, and I was reading the second one called Alien Reality, um, where it's once again Doctor Strange and Spider-Man um, against the, the the nightmare uh, character, and it, it was it was really strange to to see a more modern vision of that uh, of that team up and how now the the, the two characters uh, because there have been many encounters and Doctor Strange will play the big part when uh, uh, you know with the the, the Spider-Man secret identity the, the Mephisto stuff and so on and so forth yeah so it's really interesting to see the evolution because they they are they have to trust each other in, in this issue even though they barely know each other while when you read something that is written uh, 40 years down the road or 50 years down the road you see that now they have become partners and they have worked together they may have been even Avengers at the same time uh, and how their relationship has, uh, has grown along the way it's really uh, really nice because Doctor Strange keep on, keeps on popping up in, in Amazing Spider-Man even today I think it was in he was in issue 51 or something like that so very recent so back on the credit page you read that little box yeah and I just can't help but think about what you, the comment that you made in the last episode about, you know, the, the thousand cuts. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. this is our be nice to Steve Ditko issue. <laughs> Um, and also that he says that the fact that he may that he also draws Doc Strange may have something to do with it. Again, just kind of diminishing the uh, amount of work that that Steve actually does on on Doctor Strange because Stan yeah. really had nothing to do with Doc Strange. Uh, yeah. Steve was the plotter and writer. Uh, maybe not the scripter, but he was definitely coming up with all of the stories for that that title as well. Mm, true. No, no, he was cre clearly the, the the creator on on both books, and uh, and also it shows the, the how we can play uh, how we can play with his strengths on the book. Yeah, uh, with the difference of the characters, and uh, well, it's really nice when you have a. I think it's a fairly rare combination that, that we get in this annual because you have the main creator and the main guy working on both titles doing a team up at the at the proper time. I don't think it happens that that frequently. Honestly. No, definitely not. It's very I think it's a very rude combination. The other thing that I really like about Steve's writing in this, or his plotting, I guess, is that he gives equal time to each of these characters. Uh, this could easily mm. be a Doctor Strange annual issue. Like, if it appeared in Doctor Strange annual, there's no weight either way of what, what character has the spotlight. Mm, true. The only reason why we think maybe that that Spider-Man has more weight is because it's in a Spider-Man annual. But really, when you read this issue in the Doctor Strange epic collection, it fits mm. so perfectly. It doesn't feel like Doctor Strange is the guest star. It feels that like Spider-Man's the guest star. Is it included in the first Doctor Strange uh, collection? Yes, it is. It is. I've never been able to to put my hands on a on one copy, so it sold out before I could uh, I could buy it. The last panel in this. Doctor Strange flies over that because um, the the, the Spider-Man cartoon from the 90s 
in, I think, the third season, there's a team up with Doctor Strange. And they say these lines exactly <laughs> in that oh. right at the end. It's really great. But it's really, uh, once again, it's, it's also Stanley playing with his strengths because he uses this incredibly, uh, he, he has created this language, which is still relevant and still working today for Doctor yep. Strange with all the strange formulas and, and the names and the Vishanti and the Agamotto and, you know, all these kind of things. Uh, well, the, you you get uh, as a response, you get a perfect Spider-Man one-liner uh, that works also, and um, he plays with the strengths he has created for for each character. Yeah. I think it's great. It really is. The, the story is not that great, but the rest is just what you would like to see. It is. It's perfect. The, the story doesn't have to be great because uh, the the characters and the personalities of these two characters are are so well fleshed out and that they're and they're interesting. So. It's just the way Steve and Stan write this. Uh, they do a great job. It, it's captivating all the way through. It's fun. Mm. It's a fun issue. And as we conclude, we have also a series of, uh, of pinup like we had for for some of the previous issues and uh, and also in the first annual, uh, presenting the the villains that were introduced. Uh, since the first annual, so we get some nice, uh, some nice stuff there, including the Crime Master. And it says here, yeah. mm. Crime Master actually possesses no superpowers. How could Spidey fight someone he couldn't find? Um, sorry, uh, how could Spidey fight someone he couldn't find? Someone whose identity he didn't know. It's like, isn't that kind of the case with most of these villains? Like you can say the same yeah. thing about Green Goblin. He didn't know. He doesn't mm. know Green Goblin's identity and uh he's not privy to all of that information when he first encounters them <laughs> yeah okay we're going to move on to spider-man number 29 this is called never step on a scorpion and uh the scorpion or mac gargan busts out of jail and he apparently has been spending a lot of time uh, planning his revenge on j jonah jameson and spider-man and so that's what he's going to do throughout this issue uh this i think begins a series of jail breakouts <laughs> that uh, happen throughout the rest of these issues. It's like, I, I actually, by mm. the end of this series, uh, by the end of this epic collection, I was like, oh man, just another breakout. It's interesting because we have so many dynamic villains that are introduced early on that obviously Steve wants to bring them back, but they've all been sent to jail. So now they all have to break out of jail. <laughs> and that's exactly yeah, what they're going I, to do. Each time the rationale be, behind the exit of the escape is, each time is funnier. I think this one is one of the uh, of the uh, of the most <laughs> maybe not stupid, but uh, you know he's saying so they try to in order to come to come Scorpion. Uh, they gave him his suit back, so he managed to escape thanks to that. You're like, no, that's not how it works. In jail, I think. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, causing a scene. They thought he was mentally unstable, and the only way to calm him mm -hmm. down was to put him back in his scorpion outfit. But he was faking the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially because the, the, the suit was was partly destroyed during the first sight. That's right. The tail was ripped off and everything. Mm -hmm. He had to repair it all. But he was not He was like a low-level thug, not the brilliant scientist. I don't know how he managed to repair his costume. But anyway, that's uh, just, just in order to get him out of jail. That's exactly what happened here. Um, Ned Leeds returns in this story here after being away for some time. And this yeah. is going to set up um, a plot that's going to happen uh, throughout the rest of these pages, all up until pretty much the last page of Ditko's run here. 
Uh, and so it's really interesting to see just how they, uh, how that whole situation develops and how it goes downhill uh, fairly quickly. Uh, I was wrong about uh, something last uh, last time we spoke because I said that when he the, the color of his hair changed when he came back from Europe, but actually the color of his hair changed all the time because when he first <laughs> appears, his hair are brown, then he goes to blonde, comes back from Europe, is blonde again, and all along uh, the issues you would see uh, shifting from blonde to brown all the, every other issue. So right. <laughs> that that's fun trivia for those who are in, into uh, those kind of things. This is also the beginning of Peter Parker going to college. And so the very second page of this issue, right at the top here, Peter uh, finds that his clothes are getting too small and he has to go buy new clothes. So he's mm. shedding the blue suit with the yellow shirt uh, that we all hated that he mm. wore from like day one. And yeah. this is kind of a new chapter. You know, he's it, it signifies him getting older and, you know, being an adult rather than being a kid. And he's um, it also brings him more into the contemporary style because that suit was very kind of 1950s style. Oh, yeah. But now we're in 1965. Five. We're getting into mod culture and all that stuff. So, so he buys himself an awful yellow vest. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> of course, you know uh, this is going to change so much. I mean, the the, the look and feel of the series is going to change so much uh, with Epic Collection number three. But it still gets this feeling that it takes place in the fifties because. Uh, this is one of the things I, I said, uh, if you remember when we did the first episodes, saying that with Disco, we did, with Ditko, not Disco, but Ditko, yeah. uh, all the people look old in my, in, in, to my eyes. Right. I always felt that uh, um, Jameson looks like he's 50 or 60, um, and, uh, and Pete doesn't look 15 or 17. He looks older than that. Uh, that was my main, my main issue, because I think he's going to look a lot younger when, when we get into the Romita days. Yeah, I think he yeah. Romita definitely has a better a better handle on drawing young adults more appropriately aged. But I mean, where mm. Ditko has Peter right now, I can I can believe that he is an eighteen year old. Um, mm. I think he's definitely not the young guy that he was before, and I think that the style now kind of more suits him. Spider Man has always looked like a full fledged adult when he's in his costume mm. he's never been kind of scrawny you, you think about you know the way tom holland looks as spider-man compared to how um ditko draws spider-man here tom yeah. holland definitely looks like a kid mm. uh this is an interesting jonah issue yeah uh, we get some really nice character moments from from jj uh one of the things that it, that ditko does in or maybe it's just stan does in this issue is that we hear Jonah's thought bubbles. We hear his thoughts, which we mm -hmm. don't actually hear his thoughts very often because he's always usually just a secondary character. But in this yeah. issue, because he is a main character, we get to hear his thoughts. And so if you go to page uh, 281, which is page 13 in this story, Scorpion has just trashed the bugle and he's he climbs out the window and is escaping. And Jonah mm -hmm. looks around and he thinks to himself, 
Nobody has to know that I've been wanting to get rid of this old junk for years. Now the insurance will pay for the whole setup. Yeah. And then later on, uh, in the last panel, he thinks to himself, I never thought of that. If Spider-Man should lose, my very life will be in danger. I wonder if it's time for Fearless Jonah to take a long trip. So there's two things here. Uh, basically, confirmation in the first panel that JJ is exactly the type of person we think he is. More yeah. concerned with his money and his possessions and his, his empire or whatever. Uh, it's not just an act. And then in the second one, in the, the last panel here, also confirmation that he really only thinks about himself. Yeah. Uh, he So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that uh, where we thought there might be some nuance in this guy's character, there really isn't. He is as kind of egotistical and... Um, uh, and just uh, whatever, not not a nice person <laughs> as we thought yeah, he was. The, the, the very shallow guy that, yeah. uh, that we, we've always thought he was, yes, for sure. And it's not until um, kind of a little bit down the road when we start to see that, you know, he does have some feelings. They, I think maybe once Jerry steps in, um, Jonah softens up a little bit and starts to care a little bit more about other people. I think that it's really when characters like... Uh, his second wife, Marla Madison, that we, we, we see a different type of personality emerging from from Jameson. And um, and I think it's, it, it took a lot of time to get there. And I think there was some very... Because I remember that when Len Wynn was writing the book, Jameson was really uh, the, the fun character and he was really only there for loves. And there was some also very interesting issues with when Mark Wolfman was writing the book, so towards issue 200. Um, and they were, he had a more nuanced personality. And every, obviously, it was also very, very great uh, when Roger Stern was writing the book. But it slowly evolved, uh, but not before the mid-70s, I would say. Right. Uh, my final comment for this issue is that uh, Scorpion breaks out and he has an exact plan and when Jonah finds out about it, he forms his own plan. And when Spider-Man finds out about it, he forms his own plan. There are three separate plans that are going yeah. on here. Everyone has their own plan. Ditko plays with this perfectly. Uh, the in and outs mm. of these guys' plans and how each character doing having their own plan affects each of the other characters' plans. I think that it's really quite brilliant storytelling in this one issue to to have all of that interplay between the separate plot lines and how they all come together in the end. One thing that uh, I really enjoyed in, in this issue is, uh, is on page 282, uh, which is page, four, page 14 of the, of the issue. Mm -hmm. we, are, we have a four-panel page. Yeah. Very rare for Ditko to have a Extremely rare. Page. Yeah. And it shows such a different aspect because he uses more space for the layout. And uh, uh, even though he feels very comfortable with his uh, seven to nine on page, those pages really stand out and uh, and give more more air to breathe for his look, uh, for his style, and uh, for his layout. And I think uh, I, I I I'm not that familiar with his work afterward afterwards at Charlton, but uh, I think it's uh, maybe he would have taken uh, this kind of direction for for Spidey and uh, would have looked really great. And and another thing, I think it's a fairly important issue also for for Betty Brandt, who was kind of an an annoying character, and <laughs> she's suffering from this 
trauma during this issue and uh, and I thought that it really felt realistic you know to have this huge role taking place where you work and uh, everything exploding and Spider-Man and the Scorpion and uh, you know the, the whole place being trashed and she's just in shock it, it, yeah she's in shock and it, it established a subplot that is going to run up to issue 42 I think no, so 39 or 40 when she comes back, but she's going to gradually fade out of the book, but with a very logical uh, logical way. And uh, the basis of plot gets more interesting starting from the, this issue, in my opinion. Definitely. And and that's, yeah, the interplay between Peter and Ned. Or, and, just, and Peter coming to grips with himself. And we're going to see a new character appear uh, in, is it the next issue? I think that uh, that will cause sort of a rift between, um, well, I mean, not in this book at least, but pretty soon it'll just be a, a major player in Peter's life. Uh, oh yeah, and also yeah. there's also Aunt May has a, a little dizzy spell at the end of this issue, which is setting up a plot for, for that'll be big, 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 big in a few issues. So this is interesting that, that Steve is uh, laying the groundwork for long-term plot lines, long-term storytelling here, mm. which uh, in the first epic collection, all of those early issues, everything was one and done. There was a little bit of carryover from issue to issue with some, you know, the B storylines, but really nothing major. But now that Ditko's in charge of his own pacing and his own plotting, uh, he's now stringing these plots that are going to have uh, consequences for many issues down the road. Uh, I'm as I was uh, doing some research, I found out that uh, by the time he, he, uh, before he quit the book, uh, basically he was working, you know, on a big paperboard, uh, and he was laying out the, each each story and the main the main stories that were and the subplots that were that were running, and like he was pl plotting six months in advance, wow. which is incredibly modern, yeah, for for the time because. You don't feel like it in most of the 60s comics. But I think that here you can easily see that he's laying the ground each issue and he's building up on something with very Claremont, you know, uh, kind of approach with right. the, the subplot getting uh, bigger and bigger and taking the center stage at one point. Uh, like Claremont did on the X-Men, for instance, when he was working with Byrne and, and, and afterwards. Uh, and I think there's a very modern aspect to that. Very interesting. Yes, it is. Shall we go on to issue 30? Yeah, let's do it. So this issue is called The Close of the Cat. And, well, it's basically the, 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 the cat burglar committing a series of crimes uh, and getting caught in the end. And it's a fairly straightforward story with this new character, which is doesn't, who doesn't have any uh, special power uh, or no power at all. But what makes the story work is that all the subplots are moving forward and making the story advance in between the, the, this main story, uh, which is, once again, fairly inconsequential. But all the main plots are moving forward, which is... Uh, the Ned and Betty story is moving forward. Uh, Aunt May is, is getting um, more and more sick. Uh, we have Peter meeting, meeting Liz Allen, for, and that's the last time we will see her until 100 issues uh, later. <laughs> and we have also the beginning of the master plan of plot, a bunch of goons stealing a, a truck full of uranium 
and Spidey uh, trying to catch them. All that happening at once. Oh, and there's more though as well. There's JJ's um, interactions with Foswell. There's the Ned and Betty plotline, which we'll touch on in a little bit. Like this is the and this was the main comment that I wanted to make on this issue as well. Is that all of these plots advance, and Ditko does an incredible job of juggling all of those things. And there are I, there are no pages in this issue that are four panels. In fact, most mm. of them are more than six panels. Eight to nine. Yeah, yeah eight and to nine, because there's them. just so much happening here, but it all flows from one thing to the next really, really well. And it's like, and it jumps all over the place from these different plot lines. But it, but it's all like he keeps all of the balls in the air all the time. It's quite remarkable. Mm. Yeah, because all, all the, the 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 things that take place are completely organic. Yeah, they work very well. It's like. You, you, one plot is entering and then is phased out. Then we're moving towards some uh, the, the main story for a, for like a page uh, or so, and then there is a second plot taking over. We get to meet Liz. We get to meet Betty. Yeah. All that happening uh, all at once. And uh, when you're done with the with the issue, it takes its verbos because there's a lot of stuff to read there. Um, but it, it really works uh, incredibly well. That's uh, really astonishing. I made a mention in our last episode uh, with issue number 18, uh, where where Peter Parker is wrestling with the fact that he can't be Spider-Man because he doesn't want Aunt May to be alone if anything happened to him, and how that one was told mm. in sort of more vignette-style storytelling, where it was mm -hmm. like one, one scene happened, and then it stopped, and then another scene happened, and then it stopped, and then another scene happened, and then it stopped. And this is the this is not that at all. Like you said, it, they each of the scenes flows organically into the next. Uh, and sure, there are a few kind of stops and starts in, uh, in between scenes, but for the most part, it's it's just like a constant series of events. Like Peter, you can feel how Peter himself is trying to juggle his own life and everything that's going on because there's a mm. lot going on. I was super impressed with this issue, even though it doesn't have like the big um, splashy villain that we're used to. Maybe that's because we don't have splashy villain. Yeah, that you can play with that as well. I think so for sure. You don't have to spend yeah. as much time with the action scenes. We do get some action because there is a villain in the issue, and you have to have that as a comic book after all. But yeah, because there's no you know Doctor Octopus. Um, we don't have to we can spend more time on the character development of all of these plot lines and i love this last page oh yeah the very last panel it's just a brilliant uh brilliant picture of spider-man coming between him and betty and like he's mm. walking away we don't see his face you can see it sunken down in his shoulders and betty's face is in the shadow it just paints a great picture of both of their emotions and uh, and putting spider-man in between in kind of this ghost form is just such a great image I think that from a story point of view, I really feel that uh, Ditko felt like fading out the, the old characters that were around Peter when he was in high school and even at the bureau. Yeah. It really feels like he's getting rid of Liz, he's getting rid of Betty, and with the next issue, he's going to introduce a lot new characters when uh, Peter joins the university. It really feels like in a couple of issues, changing his looks, changing his, the, the people around him, is building uh, really a new phase in Peter's life. Definitely. Uh, I kind of think that this issue was supposed to come before the last one. That's interesting. Peter's still wearing his sweater vest, his yellow sweater vest. Yeah. And none of the plot lines, 
like a lot of the plot lines are carried through, but none of them are, you know, at the point where they absolutely have to be before uh, or like in the in the place where they are uh liz being taken out of the picture could happen before yeah Aunt may is having some dizzy spells and so that can happen in any order um they they do put the on the in the very second page they do put the little last time kind of recap but that could mm-hmm. have been added when they realized that this is that this issue is going to be a little out of place but i kind of feel that um that this issue could have come before the only thing which is really um which couldn't have happened before is the fact that uh, Ned proposed to Betty, and that's the only that's the only thing. But even that could have still happened before, and she could mm, have still yeah. then been attacked by the scorpion and had uh, a fainting sp- spell, or went into her little catatonic state for mm, that time. Maybe. Like that's, I don't think that Ned had a Ned didn't have a specific reason that was tied to the the plot of the issue uh, why he mm-hmm. proposed to her. He just did. But anyway, let's keep on going. Yeah. Uh, this next issue is called If This Be My Destiny. So this is where the master planner story really ramps up. Well, I guess in the previous issue, we do see these purple goons. So that kind of leads mm-hmm. into this issue here. So maybe that's one of the things that we could, that you could say ties these issues together in a specific order, I mean. So Spidey, Spidey meets up with these purple guys and it leads them to an underground water base um, or it leads us, the viewer, to an underground water base where we find out that there's something suspicious going on here. Uh, we don't find out what exactly it is that's going on, but something's happening. And uh, and then meanwhile, Peter starts university. This is a great issue because this is kind of a big change in Peter's life. Um, we are introduced to a new cast of characters, including Harry Osborne and Gwen Stacy. Flash Thompson uh, kind of makes friends with them, and and Ditko spends a lot of time in these issues, really making Peter sort of unlikable to his friends, but because he's so mm. distracted with everything that's going on in his life that he just kind of ignores everybody, and everyone thinks that he's stuck up. This is a theme that's mm. going to happen all the way to the end of this book. Um, yeah. It kind of gets a little bit annoying toward the end because it's a very slow progression. Uh, yeah. And but Gwen Stacy eventually sort of starts to come around toward the end of this book. But uh, the the big thing I think here is that Aunt May finally gets admitted to the hospital because of her fainting spell, and we find out that she has traces of radiation in her blood based uh, because of a. Peter knows it's because of a blood transfusion that he had to have had to, had to give her uh, in the previous book. Issue 10. Yeah, it's finally catching up with her. So he is now kind of struggling to figure out what to do about that and how to find um, like an antidote or something. Um, I love the opening pages of this issue here. And uh, and the cover. Um, But what I love about it is that I feel like they, I feel like Steve is, is setting up a plot in a way that he normally doesn't do. Because usually it's like three panels of I'm busting on the scene and this is what I'm going to do. Um, mm. And we, we find out kind of the MO of the character like right away. And, but this one, he spends so much time really getting into like the actual plan without telling us anything. So like we see all these purple guys climbing down the rope. They're spraying the, 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 the guard with gas. They're getting in their helicopter. They drop down into the water. They go into their underground base and we don't know why. It's all mm. a mystery. And I love how he just plays out like this because it's not written like Steve usually does. Yeah. Um, we, we will see with the, with the following issue that 
it's not at all. Uh, and that's why also it's, uh, it's such uh, in the top five of the, the, the best Spider-Man stories of ever. It's not a good guy versus bad guy story. Oh, yeah. Not, a, not at all. It's not about that. It's a personal story. And that's what is going to, to, to be su- such a, an interesting thing into this three-parter. And we will get to that into the next, as we jump into the next issue. And I think it's it's all about him and what defines him as a hero. Yes, and not and it's not about fighting bad guys. And uh, this is going to be so obvious as we go further into this story. I just uh, well, I have such a fond spot for, for for this story, obviously, because even though we have this main thing happening, we have so many things taking place. Once again, all the plots are moving forward. Uh, the main thing is really Peter joining the university and meeting those new characters. And once again, I have the feeling that some of the things which are written, especially page 320, uh, which is page 10, the things, the, 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 the talks and the, the scenes with Gwen Stacy, I still feel like the art is sort of in contradiction with what is written sometimes. Uh, and I think that uh, then Stanley is, is trying to not contradict, but get into a softer thing, because I think, I don't know if Ditko would have written that th- those pages like that, if he were the scripter. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I really think feel sometimes that Stan is adding some uh, thoughts, balloons for Gwen, so that she has a, a, a softer kind of vision of Peter Parker, even though she's passive-aggressive to him. Hmm. Uh, maybe I'm overseeing things in that, but uh, uh, I think that's there's a bit of a, not a fight, but uh, a difference of, of view on the characters and the way uh, Stan would write them and the way Ditko would write them. And for me, it becomes openly obvious when Romita gets on the book. Ah, right. That Stan would not write those characters and doesn't write those characters like that. It, it becomes obvious in two issues when we read the Romita stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because Gwen is right in there with everybody um, for the most part, and she gets angrier kind of as these issues go on. Uh, she she's mm. actually not that likable likable of a character. No, and that definitely is not the way that Stan does her uh, a little bit later for sure. And uh, it, it really uh, isolates. Peter as a character, as a person. Well, I think that's intentional. He needs to Mm. be isolated in this storyline because of everything he's going through. Um, Because this is such a defining moment for him, um, he has no support from anywhere at all. Because uh, the people who did pay attention to him, Liz and Betty, are no longer in the picture. The only people that are around him are Aunt May, who is not able to give him that support. JJ, who obviously doesn't care about Peter in that sense, and Flash Thompson, who they mm. don't have a good relationship at all. Those are really the only three people that Peter can talk to about in anything. But but Ditko positions Peter specifically so that he is solo. He's a solo character. It's, he has to take care of himself. Yeah. And that's kind of always been a Ditko theme through um, you know pretty much any book that Ditko writes. Mm. Because most of the lack of... He tells... Uh, it's all about a lack of communication because it, it could easily be solved by Peter saying, 
my auntie sick <laughs> to any one of them, uh, even though he doesn't know uh, these guys. So, uh, but some of them were very likely to be in high school with him, so he knows them, uh, even though they were not friends or something. But he also chooses not to communicate and not to be open about his situation, uh, which leads him into being more and more isolated. Yeah. Because it's a, he is a different character when he when he gets to see his uh, Aunt May. So uh, and and even when he gets to the bugle and, uh, and speak with uh, with Jonah or, or with the others. So maybe it's uh, maybe he's a shy guy also, or you know he's not really open. And uh, but um, yeah, he's definitely isolating uh, himself more and more. And the further we go, the worse it will be. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's keep on going over to issue number thirty-two yeah. then. So issue thirty-two is called man on the rampage and uh, so we didn't know who uh, the, the the master planner was uh, his name was mentioned a few times and we found find out that the the master planner is actually dr octopus uh, trying to create a sort of super ray super weapon um, and um, uh, but it's not really uh, Peter's problem because Peter's problem is more tied to Aunt May being sick, and um, the, the main part of the uh, of the story and his problem is trying to find a cure. So uh, he finds out that uh, he could work out a cure uh, with some specific um, uh, isotope. Uh, so he goes to meet Dr. Connors in order to work on it and find out what's the, the, the best way to, 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 uh, to, to find a cure to Aunt May. And the, 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 the isotope that he bought for to prepare the cure is stolen by the, the, the master planner's men. Uh, so it's completely incidental to, to the story and not central to the story. So as he wants to get the, the isotope back, he fights and gets into a fight against the, the, um, the master's plan uh, uh, goods and Dr. Octopus, but not because he's trying to sort out and to uh, um, get rid of a villain, but just because he's trying to save his aunt, which once again makes the, this story completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this this story starts off uh, with Doctor Octopus, and I was kind of surprised that they gave away the 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 secret. I guess mm-hmm. uh, like right away at the beginning of this issue, I figured that that sort of a reveal would be something for the end of an issue or something like that, a more mm-hmm. dramatic mm-hmm. reveal. But uh, but they tell us just right away that this is who it is, and it's not a big deal. And I think that also goes to show us that this isn't the focus of the story. Uh, the focus of the story is going to be Peter. So let's just get that mystery out of the way. Steve likes his mystery characters for some reason, um, but this one is not that important of a mystery. Yeah. Uh, and so what I loved reading through this issue is that the the sense of urgency compounds on every single page that you read. It's like it gets yeah. more and more and more and you get that this anxiety from the the way that Ditko draws Spider-Man and Peter kind of uh, just the, through the body language and then through through Stan's scripting you get the the real sense mm-hmm. of anxiety that he's feeling through every single page here page 336 for instance it's so obvious i mean it's such a strong page for instance yeah 
And then that fuels everything that goes on through the rest of this issue. When he smashes that desk, it's mm. like this is this is taking Peter to a whole new level. And everything that he does now is so intense. And the real kicker here for me is that when he is having his underwater battle, uh, underground battle with Dr. Octopus, it's not Dr. Octopus that causes the debris mm. to fall on him. It's Peter that causes the debris to fall on him. And yeah. he does it to himself. Yeah, he's fighting like a lunatic. Yeah, it, it's just it's just amazing. Uh, I I just love how the progression here. It's like he's he's put himself, he's gotten himself into this big mess, um, and now so that so if if he never makes it to Aunt May with the with the isotope, um, it's not Doctor Octopus's fault. It's his own fault, and that makes the mm. tension and the drama even greater as we end this issue. And at the end here, it doesn't say to be continued. It just says the end mm, yeah once again we, we we have incredible visuals i did go whether as you mentioned the, the the body language and the sense of urgency that it brings to to the page uh and also the fight scene page 346 347 with those three then four panel pages once again very rare yep. very very efficient lot of space for the art uh, you know, it reminds me of the, 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 the Sinister Six annual from the year before uh, and from the first co collection when we have these beautiful splash pages uh, of each character and this page 346, it's exactly, it's very close to that with the panel where, where uh, Octopus grabs uh, Spider-Man. Right. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a gorgeous page. Moving on to the next issue here. Um, I love mm -hmm. how we have a very distinct three acts. The first issue was definitely the, the the first act where it's you know it sets the scene. We find out about these characters and everything, and then the second act is everything to to get us to the climax. Um, and now we have the final chapter. It says it's just the it's a perfect uh, three part story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Peter Parker is trapped under this heavy machinery, one of the most iconic Spider-Man moments in the history of Spider-Man. Peter has to muster all of his strength to get to save himself from this heavy machinery that's on him and deliver the isotope to Aunt May. And he does this in time and manages to to uh, save the day or save his aunt. Uh, the the most important part of this issue, I think, is this these first few pages where he mm. has to come to terms with himself as a person, where he has to come to terms with his abilities, his powers, and uh, and he also has to decide whether or not to give up or to keep on going forward. And of course, because he's Spider-Man and we know that he's not going to give up, he doesn't give up. And so if you look at these pages, pages number 354, which is the second page of the story, there are seven pages uh, sorry, seven panels mm. on this page. Mm. And then the next page has six panels. Then the next mm. page has four panels. And then the next page has one panel. The panels are mm. getting bigger and bigger as he musters up the strength to do what he has to do until we get to this very, very dramatic splash page on page 357, page five of the issue, where he lifts all of this stuff off of him and frees himself. My favorite one being 355, because the uh, it's like the, the, the camera is getting closer and closer to, to Peter as yes. he's lifting the machinery. And it, it's very cinematic. And you can really feel the tension when he's lifting the thing. So I think it's a it's perfectly 
conveyed and presented. And even though you can't see under Peter's mask, you see him moving from being defeated into a more determined person, the way his body language is, is being played and his muscles and so on. That's a very important point because Steve doesn't draw Spider-Man's eyes in different shapes mm. depending on his emotions. A lot of modern artists will convey a lot of Peter's emotions through yeah. the shapes of, of the mask eyes, but Ditko never does that. The The mask no. is just a mask. It is not an extension of his face. And so, yeah, all of the body language and the acting is done through the, the posing, and Steve does an incredible job with that. Mm. What is surprising in, in this issue is that basically uh, when you get to page 14, you're almost done with the print, with the main elements of the story. Because it, it could have gone longer than that. I mean, you could have had Doc Ock coming back. That's true, yeah. Uh, because he disappears and you, you, you won't see him until the issue way, 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 way longer. Uh, I think like 55 or something like that when he comes back. So he, Doc Ock disappe- has disappeared. You, you don't know what happened. Uh, he gets out of the Master Planner's base fighting all those guys like they are, you know, it's, it's even not fighting them, he's fighting against himself, him, him being tired and exhausted and fighting his way through, actually, but literally fighting his way through to to bring back the isotope to, to Dr. Connors and uh, and um, and finalize the, the, um, the cure for, for his end. Very unconventional, once again. It's a, it's very unconventional uh, storytelling. You, we will see that again in in other issues where he's fighting like a crazy person and not trying to. Uh, just it's about him and his mission rather than fighting guys and so yeah. on and so forth. And then we get, a, once again, a series of endings. Yep. And especially except the, 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 the part with Betty, which is maybe the moment when the, the, the relationship is almost fully over and that she cannot stand the fact that he's putting his life in danger and so on and so forth. We see a series of wins for Peter, and that doesn't happen that often. Because he has major win with the, the the cure, then he goes to the he managed to get those exclusive pictures that he's going to sell to Jonah and make and, and get make more money than money usual. Yep. Yeah, and and then Aunt May is getting better. So it's a it's a clear win. It's such a great win. It's not a depressing ending like we get lots in, in those early issues. It feels great to have such a positive uh, story and uh, a positive ending, in my opinion. And I love this ending on the very last page mm. where the, the doctor is lowering the blinds. He, it, It's so interesting to me because he has these series of wins, but as he's walking away, his head is still slumped in his shoulders. He still feels mm. the weight of everything that's going on and the responsibility of Aunt May and everything. And he walks away and this guy lowers the blinds to tell us that, I don't know, there's a conclusion. This is the conclusion to the story, but also that I think, you know, the room goes dark to, as a, like a, it's like symbolic that Peter still has a cloud over him, even though he's mm. winning. It's, it's a very interesting ending. And I, I love the, just the play, uh, playing of, of the light and the emotions there. It's very cinematic as well. Yeah. It really feels like uh, with the last panel, you would fade out and get into the credits of yeah. the movie. Yeah, that's like how this is for sure. You know what? I really wish 
that Ditko had left after this issue. <laughs> I, I agree too. <laughs> Everything after this is underwhelming compared to what we just read. Well, I, I think that issue 37 is a fantastic issue. It's, uh, it's, one of the, the, it's one of the very good ones after this one. But really, <laughs> you can't get better than that. And I, in fact, I really wish she had left after this issue. But uh, that's... Uh... Uh, when we when I was reading these three parts, it really reminded me of a more modern story from the Straczynski run mm. uh, in the early 2000s when Peter fights yeah. against Moreland. You remember Moreland, mm. the character who yeah, is like sure. he's yeah. after uh, Spider-Man because he's a, he's this this totem character that he's trying to destroy all the different Spider-Men, whatever. And he just relentlessly goes after Spider-Man and after uh, and it's just this nonstop sense of urgency and, and anxiety. It's a different focus, but I got the same feeling reading that story that I did getting reading this Mass Planner arc. Yeah, it's also because it's, uh, once again, it, it's a personal story. It's not about fighting uh, the, 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 the bad guy of the month. It's about saving the, the life of the, one of the most, or the most important person in his, in his life. Right. So that's, uh, that completely changes the focus of the character. And it's all about, I think it reflects with also Uncle Ben, because she's very, she's very close to dying. Uh, so it's this with great power must also come great responsibility. Yeah. Because he's responsible for her situation and her condition through the blood transfusion. Right. So it's really uh, a mirror of the, 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 the what happened with, uh, with the origin of, uh, of Spider-Man and the death of, uh, um, and the death of Uncle Ben. It's such a great win for him because he gets rid of this circle of uh, uh, whatever I do, there's something wrong happening. For, for once, uh, it's almost a 100% win. Except for Betty. Yeah, except for Betty. But <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was a lost fight. The, the, he, I, he couldn't have won this fight. Yeah. Uh, he's, not, he's not the guy for her. We see a lot of her, of her anxiety, of her fear, all along the series, starting with these issues with Dr. Octopus and her brother and how she's always worried about pe people in her life being in danger, uh, putting their life in danger and how she cannot stand it. So it wouldn't have worked you know, on, the, on the long term. So it completely makes sense that when he's fighting such a big fight, uh, they break up sort of officially. It's interesting to me that uh, that Steve put so much attention, uh, and I guess Stan too in these early days, put so much attention on Betty Brant's character and developing her and putting her through those things, like the like you know showing the PTSD that she has surrounding her brother's mm. death, uh, yeah. only to you know write her out of the picture. Yeah, well, in fact, he writes her out, but uh, we don't know how long she would have stayed out of the book because. If, as I told you, I started reading the, the, the upcoming volume, yep. and she comes back like three issues after. Right. She's back in issue 41, so... We don't know what Steve's long-term plans were for her. Yeah. 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 But I think that... Uh, I'm not trying to get into already into the next issue, but I think there's a clear indication uh, of what 
of the direction you would have taken. Okay, well, let's go on to the next issue. Yeah. Uh, this is issue number 34. It's called The Thrill of the Hunt. The Craven the Hunter returns, and he, of course, just wants to go after Spider-Man. He has a... Well, one of the things that was funny to me here is that he has a special jungle scent spray that he sprays on Spider-Man so that he can't use his spider sense. Now, first of all, mm. how does how does Craven the Hunter know how the spider sense works, and how does he mm. have a special thing that will cancel it out. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. But he disguises himself as Spider-Man in, t- in order to give him some bad press and lure him out in the open. And this is very similar to uh, yeah. what we see Craven do in the most famous Craven story, Craven's Last Hunt. Last Hunt. Yeah. yeah, there are lots of parallels in this story to that one there. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, we see Peter, he's a little bit more relaxed now that Aunt May is well, and um, he even tries to talk to Gwen Stacy kind of for the first time and doesn't realize Mm -hmm. everything that's been going on behind the scenes in the last few issues. So that's kind of good. But he is so he's starting to to, uh, notice other people and sort of get back to the way he was before. I was really surprised about the, the, the connection between this issue and Craven Last Hunt because I, I had read those issues a few years ago or maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but I, I had completely forgotten that. And uh, I was really surprised and I saw that there was such a... So many this, parallels. This link. Yeah, so many parallels and the fact that uh, he impersonates Spider-Man yep. to make him look bad. So it's a different approach because in Kraven Last Hunt, he wants to become him and uh, and replace him uh, entirely. So it's a, it's a different approach. And of course, we don't get into this psychological aspect of Kraven in, in this issue. And I, and I, But yet... We get something which is similar to uh, Craven Lessons, which is at the end, he confesses, Craven confesses that he did it. He uh, did all those crimes wearing the, 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 the Spider-Man costume and that it is not Spider-Man. And uh, because he's a, he's a man of honor, uh, he wants to keep the thing clean and uh, not having Spider-Man being accused of something he hasn't done. Once right. again, it's very different from, from all the villains we see. And it's something that we would see also in Craven Ascent when uh, uh, when Craven uh, writes, when he commits suicide, he, wrote, he writes these notes that says that Spider-Man didn't do any of the, the things he was accused of because he impersonated him. Overall, the the whole Craven story was a little bit interesting, but um, he's not actually my favorite character. The Craven's mm. Last Hunt story mm. being kind of the only exception where I find him kind of really interesting. Uh, so this issue, in as a whole, didn't really thrill me, but I did like the all of the subplots that were going on here. So that that kind of saved this one for me. I think one of the most interesting thing uh, here is really the Betty scene. Yeah, the one at the beginning. Yeah, and uh, the this nightmare that she has, and where she uh, she dreams that Peter uh, reveals to her that is really Spider-Man, and it really feels like she kind of knows that, or felt it, or has you know, it's more of a uh, realization than a dream. But we will never get back to that. Uh, but I think that's uh, that's a really interesting moment for. So the way it's laid out here in the epic collection is the the pages are on the 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 sides the the pages are on the opposite side of where they would be in the original published comic book because the the splash page on three seventy four mm. 
when you open up a comic book, the splash page is always mm. on the right, but here it's on the yeah. left. So when you flip this over, the scene with Peter ripping open his shirt and seeing the Spider-Man costume, that would be on the right as well. Yeah, so you need to turn. Mm. Yeah, you, the dramatic reveal of it being a dream would be a page turn, not on the same page as you have in this collection. So Ditko, I think specifically, did that so that you would have to turn the page to find out that it's all a dream. But when you see it here, your eye kind of looks over the two-page spread all together, all at once. And you can see it kind of ruins the surprise a little bit, I think. Yeah, 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 of course. It, it would have been quite a shock uh, if you were reading that because there is no indication that it's uh, not a regular scene. Yeah, totally. Uh, because even the, the box that connects between the Cra Craven's page and that says, It says, meanwhile, yeah. <laughs> an ocean away. You know, it feels like it's a perfect normal combination of the, of the story. Right. So that's quite a shock and quite a surprising thing, yes. When I read that, I remember that uh, it's something which was used in the 80s on the Peter Parker spectacular book. So there was this character which was a sort of, not really a girlfriend, but uh, a girl that was really fond of Peter called Deborah Whitman. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she was a secretary when, when Peter was an assistant. And she had a similar scene. Uh, and she had a similar dream of uh, Peter being Spider-Man, which led to an incredible issue where uh, at a psychiatrist and then Peter revealing uh, himself and she wouldn't believe it. Uh, and said, obviously, you played a prank on me, and uh, I understand you cannot really be Spider-Man. So it was kind of faded out in a strange way, and I really wish we could have seen more of that here uh, and that bit in that Betty story. Yeah, but unfortunately, there are we have other plans for her, and we find out at the very yeah. end of this issue. Uh, I, I really like this ending here. There's the two panels where Jonah has a new secretary. Something's gone. Mm. Betty's just taken off. It, the only thing we see is that fear of the dream, and then she's gone. Yeah, mm. yeah really surprising. And then we have another um, similar ending where Peter, his head is all slumped over his shoulders. We see him from the back and the camera trucks out, mm -hmm. out of, a, out of the, the, um, his bedroom, out of his bedroom window. So we just see him as a shadow in the window, kind of similar to the lowering of the blinds in the previous issue. And once again, when you read that final page, you see that uh, he's not in a very positive place. <laughs> yep. Once again. Okay, why don't you take us through the next one here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so issue 35 called The Molten Man Regrets. So The Molten Man is released from prison because he's, well, behaving well, apparently, in prison. So, obviously, as he gets out, he plots uh, an, evil, uh, an evil plan. <laughs> yep. He's hiding under a mask to, to rob uh, a jewelry stop. So uh, Spider-Man follows him, uh, then finally deduces and understands, which is something that rarely happens, but he deduces that the guy he was fighting, who was very strong but looked very normal, uh, should be the Molten Man. So he follows him and identifies that it's really the, the Molten Man. And um, we get into this 10-page fight between the two of them, which is fairly inconsequential once again uh, but we get great art and uh, and once again something which is really really interesting
interesting. He uses his picture to uh, his picture that he took as Peter Parker as a proof that the Molten Man was the man who uh, stole the, the, the jewelry sh- uh, shop in the beginning. Yeah. Very interesting thing and a different aspect also to, to Peter and to and to Spider-Man. So more of a brainy guy in this issue, something we, we haven't seen in a while. So not a great story, but with some interesting aspects to it, uh, in my in my opinion. I kind of feel like this is the point where where Steve Ditko is, uh, he's no longer satisfied being on this book, and he's just not putting as much care and attention into things. Um, I Especially this last page, page 414 in the collection, the last page of the issue, mm-hmm. just the sparse backgrounds and this weird panel where it's like you see a silhouette. Obviously, it's Betty because mm-hmm. you can see the mm-hmm. the you know the bob cut silhouette of their hair, and um, it just seems like he put minimal effort into this one page. Um, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre page. It, it, yeah, and it's a bizarre story as well because there is n- not much going on. The only thing that moves the plots, the various plots that we had before. Uh, is that at the end Peter finds out that Betty's gone but otherwise you could remove this uh, this story from the, the collection and it wouldn't change that much it could also have been that it was late because if he was rushing those last few pages and there are full pages where where Stan doesn't do any scripting at all he just leaves it up to sound effects which he claims is like you know giving it a break but maybe he just literally didn't have time to do all of this it the scripting is much lighter throughout this mm. issue than usually what Stan would do with a couple of ex, um, um, expository pages being the exception. Uh, page 11 may be one of those things that really must have annoyed Ditko. He mentioned, uh, and because I read that in Stan interview recently, that he hated, hated sound effects. Oh. You know, the wham, the bang, and the stuff like that. He hated that. And here we are featuring them. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and he wanted, uh, because it didn't put them in the stories. He never put them in the stories. Uh, it was Stanley putting them and asking, uh, maybe doing them himself or asking the letter to, to do those sound effects. Uh, and Ditko hated them. So maybe it was one of those. Uh, maybe it was the 997 cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. Okay, moving on to number uh, issue number 36. This one's called When Falls the Meteor, and I thought the villain's name was going to be the Meteor, but it's not. Yeah, me too. It's uh, yeah. the Looter, <laughs> yeah. who's actually a character that kind of comes back every once in a while. But this guy, he fi- is just a, a nobody who finds a Meteor, and he says that he's going to prove that there is microscopic living matter on the Meteor, starts fiddling with it, and a, a gas comes out of the Meteor, which happens to give him some superpowers. This guy mm-hmm. is a very unremarkable villain. Yeah. He only... He doesn't have any sort of special gimmicks. He has a very kind of plain, nondescript costume. And all he is is kind of super strong. That's really all he is. Mm. I, I feel like they were that maybe Ditko was trying to play with the fact that it's a meteor and maybe it has different a different gravitational field than because it's from outer space. Uh, so that kind of comes off maybe in a little in some of his power set, but for the most part, I thought this was a terrible issue. I mm. thought that this one had no consequence whatsoever. I didn't know what the point of it was. It doesn't even really uh, further any of the subplots. Uh, we do have a scene with Gwen Stacy, but nothing really changes. 
it stays exactly the same. Even the purpose of the of the looter. I mean, uh, this guy wants to solve the riddle of the universe. That's what he says on page two of the issue. Yeah. But there is no. He gets his powers by accident. He's not super strong. He's not super interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. It's a really weird character, in my opinion. And then we even get a new character named Sally Green, who is who we, we never see again. Like she's inconsequential. It, it's mm. just a an mm. odd issue that doesn't have any real focus or any real purpose uh, with a villain who is very lackluster. So another sign to me that Ditko is kind of not putting his full effort into this anymore. Uh, I just like the fact that we find out that Queen Stacy is going to is attending a science exhibit on her own because we we when we see her today we always see the nice girl and so on but we keep on forgetting that she was a very brainy girl as well and she was very much into science uh, and we would see that all along her time on the book that she's very much into science and she may be more clever than than Peter uh, on many aspects so that's um, that's one of the good thing uh, but uh, yeah you're right it's fairly inconsequential yeah shall we move on to the to issue 37 sure let's do that you mentioned earlier that you really like this issue and i thought that it was not that great so let's uh let's oh. compare our notes here <laughs> okay yeah for sure uh so this one is called once upon a time there was a robot it starts with this character called Professor Strom being released. Once again, someone gets released uh, out of jail. And this guy is plotting a revenge. Of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> that, that, that's a trope. <laughs> it is now, yep. But he's planning a revenge on his former employer who cheating on him. So Strom creates those robots that uh, attack his former employer turns out to be uh, Norman Osborne. Uh, and we, we identify and we put a name on the guy for the first time and we find out that he's also uh, the father of uh, Harry Osborne. So he has created a couple of robots that uh, go out to, to destroy uh, his factories and his belongings. But what changes completely the mood of the story for me is that we see towards the end that Norman Osborn is really uh, worried about Spider-Man and he sees Spider-Man as a threat and looks like a very, very dangerous person uh, in the last five, four pages. And it seems to be setting up something different and darker tone on the book, in my opinion. So that's what I feel was really interesting because the the, the the robots are kind of goofy, not that interesting. The strong character is looks like yeah, the, the villain of the month. But what I really enjoy about this is the, the plot again against Norman Osborn and the fact that the character is taking at last uh, is entering into the book and showing that he's there's more than meet the eye uh, about it. Yeah, so that's true. The The Norman part is very interesting. And that page on page 452, on page 16 of this issue, where all of a sudden, out of the blue, he just uh, he just knocks out Spidey, hits him in the back of the head. 
we had no clue that he was going to do anything like that. It was not part of his character before. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, Norman mm-hmm. is a totally different person than we thought he was. So that was very interesting. But yeah, all those same comments about Strum being uh, just a villain of the month. They make a big deal about him being out of jail. It's like, at last, I'm free. I'm going to plot my revenge. But we've never seen this guy before. Like, mm-hmm. this is different from when Scorpion broke out of jail. Or, you know, um, it's it's like, why, why do we care about this guy? And, I mean, he's only there to introduce us he's a new character to introduce us to another new character so i thought that that was kind of just bad a bad way to introduce the this the character here um i did like the scene at the very beginning though when strom first gets out of prison and then foswell's watching him it's like oh mm. someone's watching strom and then no someone's watching foswell and then no spider-man's mm. watching that guy <laughs> yeah a little funny there um but and and then these robots i also wasn't a huge fan of because they just reminded me too much of the spider slayer stuff that we had just read mm. so it wasn't different enough for me to to care about them this green one even moves kind of like similar with the growing arms and legs that can walk up buildings and such similar to the mm. the spider slayer that jonah was using in that previous issue oh yeah and it looks very 50s you know those kind of bad mad robots and the kind of weird science stories you you could have read in the early 60s on the or the late 50s, so yep. they, they, they don't bring much added value in my opinion. So, yeah, so if it weren't for the fact that Norman uh, came into play in this issue, I think it'd be, a, in my opinion, not a not one that stands the test of time for sure. Mm. But I have to say that I'm a massive fan of Norman Osborn. I'm really fond of the, of, of the character up to the, 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 the real Norman Osborn, so not the one that came back 25 years after his uh, death. <laughs> right, yeah. That character that is established in the 60s and the early 70s, uh, I'm really fond of him because you you never know how he's going to play and what character he's going to be. Of course, it's his first appearance, full appearance here. So you, you, you just see that this guy looks suspicious from the beginning. We only saw him a couple of times attending Jonas Club. Uh, so we, we we fairly understand that he's, he's an important person, he's a rich guy, but that's all we knew about him so far. And suddenly he's, he's a very interesting and suspicious character. Um, obviously, it will play uh, pay out uh, uh, afterwards in, in, in two issues, but uh, I'm certain that Ditko had planted had really worked something out for for him, uh, and we, we, well, we'll we'll discuss about that afterwards. Okay, final issue in this book is called Just a Guy Named Joe. This is issue number 38. This is Steve Ditko's Mm. final issue, and it revolves around this guy. It's not even really a Spider-Man story. It's a story about Joe Smith, who's a boxer who's just not a very good boxer at all. And he gets a job as an extra in a movie being just a a monster that has to destroy things. And he accidentally gets into an accident that gives him uh, super strength, but also clouds his mind and his judgment and makes him angry and enraged and when he's he goes on a rampage and spider-man has to catch up with him and such and through the course of this it's really a character piece about this one guy um who's down on his luck and doesn't know what to do and just kind of takes it out on everybody uh there's not a whole lot more to it than that i feel like ditko's own personal views of just the way society works come into play here 
Um, yeah. And in the end, in the end, it, it works out for Joe. Uh, he the the whatever the chemicals wear off, and he his mind gets unclouded, and he gets himself a movie deal. And that at the ending there is to also contrast between him and Peter Parker, a guy who also got powers by accident um, and is trying to use them for good, and everything bad happens. In contrast to this guy who got powers by accident and causes problems, and in the end gets a, a five picture movie deal. So it's a, um, I liked it for that aspect. I felt that some of it, again, was a little rushed. Stanley does the thing again, where we have a whole page and a half of just sound effects um, and no dialogue, mm-hmm. which makes me think that maybe they were rushing on this one as well. However, this one has uh, good moments with Norman Osborn. Uh, we find out more about his character and... He uh, has a, he's put a, a hit on Spider-Man for what is it twenty thousand dollars? Yeah, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, it must have been a fortune in the sixties. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But yeah, everybody's going after him. Yeah, once again, he, he, he was more towards a more angrier version of himself, and now he's kind of the plotting um, aspect of himself. So I think that we see also that he has this kind of maybe not split personality, but uh, uh, different aspects. Uh, to his personality. For me, that's the most interesting part of the issue, which I found rather bland. And also, I really feel that uh, Ditko was heading in a very wrong direction with Peter and with his personality. Yeah. Because he's really, really a jerk in this issue. And he kind of always has been, though. There's always yeah, been this sense but... of like playing, like his temper gets the best of him. He doesn't know, like he always says things that he shouldn't say. And he's been like that mm. since almost the beginning. Yeah, but I think that it's actually worse because the way he speaks to to Ned, the way he's acting with at the university uh, and so on. You know, for a guy who always feels bad about himself, it would be interesting to find out that he's not a very good people person and that he should, that he should change, actually. And I really feel that this is something that Stanley didn't enjoy and didn't like, because we will see very clearly once again with the following issue that all that is going to change in two pages. So <laughs> I really feel that Stanley and Ditko, well, that, that, that's something we, we need to discuss, but uh, the, the fact that Ditko left, so he basically left out of the blue. And uh, because apparently him and Stanley hadn't been talking for months, so they were working on this book together, but they were not talking at all, one to another. And I think that even Stanley was locking himself in his office, and he wouldn't get out of his office whenever Ditko was supposed to come by yeah. and drop the pages. So I think that's at the time, that's when the, the, there was an article uh, in the newspaper that says that basically uh, that gave a lot of credit, gave a lot of credit to Stanley and not much to, to Kirby and to, and to Ditko. So that, came, that caused a grudge between Kirby and, uh, and Lee at the time. And I think that's one of the, the reasons why uh, Ditko left and he left out of the blue and just dropped the pages to to production manager Saul Brotty and says, I quit. He got out and uh, he, he was out of Marvel for like 15 years or maybe more. Right. That was quite a tough thing to, to view here. And uh, 
uh, strange situations between two creators working, supposedly working together, uh, but not working at all together. I actually have a little clip of Larry Lieber talking about the relationship between Stan and Steve. Now, this clip is is definitely through the lens of Larry, probably trying to come also in defense of his brother, but I'm going to play it for what it's worth. It's from a great interview that I did with Larry a couple years ago. I always admired Stan for this. When I was working for Stan, doing those monster books, Steve did the one amazing fantasy. And Stan wrote the stories himself, and he wanted Steve, and Steve drew them, okay? Okay. I think all those stories Stan wrote, and they worked together, and he told me one day, Steve won't talk to him. He won't come to the office. He won't talk to him. But Stan still gave him work and worked with him. And I thought to myself, my God, how many editors in this business would work with a man who wouldn't... who wouldn't talk to them, you know? Yeah. And and I gave Stan credit for that. For him, the main thing was, is this? do I think this guy is good and will the book work and so on? I thought that, what a lack. I mean, Stan may have an ego, and I'm sure many people think it's large, but you've got to also have a lack of it. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, to, to work with a guy who wouldn't, uh, we told him, would, would, wouldn't speak to him, wouldn't have anything to do with him, but but took but took the work and handed it in, and they worked together. Right. So I guess they must have done that, had some communication. I think that's, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, it's like, why did the, the Beatles break up? It's one of those things that uh, we went there, so we yeah. would never find out for sure what happened. Because, first of all, A, Stanley has a t- had a terrible memory. So I remember that I read interviews of him saying, we were arguing uh, about the identity of the Green Goblin and about Mary Jane and about this and that, while apparently they were not talking at all. So it, <laughs> they couldn't have been arguing. They were not talking. Then Ditko is not the, 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 the guy who gave a lot of interviews, but one of the very rare interviews he gave, uh, I think it was in the 90s, was very, very contradictory to what we see because he said in the 90s, uh, from the beginning, I wanted uh, and I planted the seeds to show that uh, Norman Osborn was actually the Green Goblin, which in my opinion sort of contradicts what we see here in the book. Because uh, if uh, the Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin for him, we would have seen the Green Goblins in the strong issue, and we don't. Right, uh, yeah. And we, and we wouldn't have seen Norman Osborn paying goons to kill Spider-Man. So for me, it doesn't really work. Uh, so... A lot of the things that we have learned about the breakup and the, 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 the lack of communications uh, between Stanley and Ditko was told a long time afterwards. Yeah, memories fade, memories change. And we will never know really what happened uh, between the two. I know that it got even to a point that the last Ditko stories on uh, Doctor Strange were not even scripted by Stanley. Oh, wow, yeah. I'm pretty sure that Denis O'Neill wrote one. Right. So I I get that. I think that Stanley didn't want to work with Cisco at all at once, even though he claimed the contrary afterwards. But 
it shows in the last three issues that uh, uh, there, there was no connection anymore and the, the, the book was was not going in a, in a very good direction. Yeah, I think that probably one of the best things for Spider-Man was that Ditko left. It's hard to say because <laughs> he's the creator of the character and such and did so much great work establishing it but based on those last few issues if that was what was going to be the norm uh it's probably good that he stepped off yeah especially knowing what comes next <laughs> oh yeah oh yes i think we have some fantastic bonus material in this oh issue. man yeah like, i the, definitely want to talk about this in this collection yeah. we have um nearly the entire issue 31 of rough pencils by steve dicko it is remarkable to see what oh, his yeah. pencils looked like compared to what the finished inked version looks like um, uh, mm. there's just so much I think that so much more detail and expression that gets lost once it's transferred to inks it's very very cool uh, I, and I love how, how much of the dynamic uh, it brings well, when he draws Spider-Man yeah. with all the circles and the lines drawing and all the, the way it's laid out uh, I think it gives it, it shows the art in a completely different light you can see his perspective lines you can see all of the underdrawings of how he uh, creates or um uh, constructs the characters, the facial features, everything. It's it's such a great study on how he draws, which you you can't get from just seeing uh, the the finished work. Quite fascinating. Um, yeah, because uh, and it's strange because we 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 don't see very much uh, original art of the the Ditko Spider Man. We have the, the the amazing Fantasy Fifteen in the first collection because it was saved and now it's part of the um, public library or something or Library uh, of Congress. Uh, library of Congress. Yeah, but that's and all still. That's the what, finished inked work. Yeah, this that's is not the rough. This is yeah. This yeah. is something completely different. Yeah, and it was saved because apparently uh, Mary Severin did the copies of the of the pages, and that's a very good idea that she had. Yeah. Um, uh, it's quite surprising to see that uh, all along the way, Ditko inked himself. Uh, th there never was any complementary artist working on the book along right. with him. So he inked all of those stories, which make it very unique because you get the, 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 the most perfect rendition of the, 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 what he wants to, to showcase in the, in the art. Um, so when you get to the credit page, uh, all you have to do is writer Stanley, artist and plotter Sid Ditko, and a couple of, uh, of letters. Um, I That's think right. it's, a, it's a very unique thing that we won't see in many epic collections. Yeah, the the whole creator-owned um, storytelling is something that's definitely around now, like where, where the creator is the solitary writer and artist. But as far as Marvel mm. Comics goes, because it's such an assembly line production, this is as close as we're going to get to that. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, this was really fascinating, going through these, these la later Ditko Spider-Man issues. And, and talking to you about it. Now, um, I think I don't, we can't stop here. We got to get going onto mm. the next issue. So we're going to spend a little bit more time in Spider-Man here on the podcast and mm. carry through the early Ramita days and see uh, where the title goes from here in contrast to what Ditko was doing. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting into a completely different direction. Uh, but I love both. Yeah. I think we, we, even though there are a few bad issues in this collection, uh, that's one of the best stuff you get, you, you can get from, from Spider-Man. So 
obviously it's highly recommended reading for any Spidey fan. Uh, yeah. Even though you, you, you may be a bit uh, surprised by the 60s, 50s uh, kind of look and feel and spirit of the book, but you get so much bang for your buck. It's, uh, it, it's a fascinating time and uh, some of the greatest stories ever ever done on, on the character. Well, the first two volumes, both of them, the first mm. volume you definitely have to read to get, of course, the origins of the characters and all of these villains and just to see the the incredible amount of creativity that's oozing out of Ditko at the time. And then this issue to see a more fully realized Spider-Man with master planner arc of what Ditko was actually able to, or what, what Ditko was actually capable of when given the opportunity to. So both of these, the, the first volume, Great Power, and this one, Great Responsibility, are absolutely essential Spider-Man reading for any Spider-Man fan. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap us up for today's episode. And thank you, mm-hmm. everybody, for checking this out. Follow me on Facebook, Epic Marvel Podcast. You search that on any social media and you'll be able to find me and uh, and join my Facebook group if you search for Epic Collections on Facebook. And don't forget to check out my new YouTube channel as well. Uh, thanks again, Frank, for joining us and talking through these issues with us. And we will see everybody uh, next week when we dive into Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection Volume 3, Spider-Man No More. Yeah, I had a great time. Lovely.